0: And, uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. It's a joy to be with you here within the sanctuary as well. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us there. We're in a series on rhythm, and in particular, speaking of Sabbath, and in particular, rhythm of engagement and withdrawal. Uh, often, people have questions around Sabbath, feeling like there's no engagement related to Sabbath. And then, people who do need to engage on Sabbath, or what we would call Sunday, kind of end up feeling guilty, like they're doing something wrong, and I want to address that at the outset, and then we'll get into what Jesus has to say, which is this uh, beautiful invitation to wholeness, Uh, and let's pray as we begin. Father, thanks that as we gather here, your desire is that we live in a way uh, contrarian to prevailing culture, not because we're called to be contrarian, but just obedient to you, and you call us to a way that is different than a driven world, a world uh, characterized by weariness and all the attendant anxiety and fear that surrounds that weariness. And so I pray that you'd equip us to be people uh, of rest in the way in which you desire as we follow you, and we'll thank you for the fruit of that. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Some of you know the word remix. It's a musical phrase, and it means uh, someone wrote a song. And then uh, a, a generation later, uh, Fleetwood Mac comes along, and they, like, they have a different version of that song. And then a generation later, Eddie Vedder comes along and has yet another version of the same song. And among musicians, uh, there's a lot of tension that arises around this. I like, I like the original, you've polluted it, I could never listen again. Uh, there's different views on remixes. A theology of remix might declare that... Uh, the original should never evolve because the original is inerrant or something like that. But we're saying, when we come to Sabbath, that Sabbath is one of those beautiful illustrations in the scripture of truth that uh, its expression changes through contextualization. And we want to see the contextualization of Jesus recognizing that according to Hebrews 2... His contextualization is like the final word, right? Jesus is the fullest expression of God. So Mark 1 provides what I call a Sabbath remix, right? And it speaks out of the first century AD, but the 21st century, because here's the reality. Anyone in the room who has people living under their care in some way is A, call to Sabbath, but B, you're gonna to have to acknowledge that your Sabbath isn't gonna be you know, shedding the drapes and saying om for eight hours or something like that in utter withdrawal, uh, we're called in Sabbath to engagement, as we'll see in a minute. And so I just want to free you from some kind of religious guilt that sometimes attends Sabbath, where you're like, what do you mean Sabbath? I, hello, I'm a parent, and I have little kids, and when my little kids need, you know, breakfast, On Sunday, I don't say, ha ha, it's the Sabbath. See you on Monday morning, there will be Cheerios there, you know. We're parents, we gotta care for our kids 24 7. Uh, If you're employed in healthcare, service industry, Uh, some of you go over to Duke's after after, uh, this sermon because there's no Seahawk game, they've already lost, the day's over. So you're gonna go eat, someone's gonna serve you on the Sabbath, and you're gonna buy their food, and you're okay with that. Uh, And maybe secretly judging them for working on Sunday at the same time. Or maybe you're a pastor and this is my Sabbath in one sense anyway. It's a part of my Sabbath experience. Or, uh, you know, if if you're in the winter where I live and you're a snowplow driver, snow comes with frequent regularity late on Saturday night. And if I don't have that driver working early on Sunday morning, I can't be with you. So... Uh, The point of this morning's message, I I want to invite us to reconsider Sabbath. That's what Jesus is teaching when he says in Matthew 11, come to me and I'll give you rest. All of us need rest, not only for our own healing and ongoing sustainability in ministry, but for testimony, right? So I want to look, by way of introduction, at Sabbath 1 and 2, and then give you Sabbath 3, which is Jesus. 1.0, pretty simple, Exodus, Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? You remember it. Remember for your family. Remember for your servants. Remember for your animals, even. Everybody pressed Sabbath, including, you know, immigrants and everybody. Remember it, keep it holy. That's all we're told. Well, you know, that's conspicuously ambiguous. And so lawyers got a hold of that and said, hey, we got to define... If Sabbath means not working, right, what is, what is work? Let's define it. So, you know, the spiritual seminary students got together, and they did a, like a group study on this, and they came back, and now I'm literally quoting from the Torah. There are 39 sections of prohibition, and they include these. Settle in, sowing, plowing, reaping, gathering into sheaves, threshing, winnowing, cleaning, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, Uh, Shearing wool, washing, beating, dyeing the wool, spinning it, uh, making a warp of it, uh, weaving a cord, weaving two threads, weaving two stitches, tearing two stitches, catching a deer, killing, skinning, salting, preparing its hide, scraping off its hair, cutting it up, writing two letters, blotting. You can write one, not two. uh, Blotting. Blotting. uh, blotting, out the, uh, blotting out the paper or the papyrus or the stone or whatever, blotting out for the purpose of writing two letters, pulling down, extinguishing, lighting a fire, beating with a hammer, carrying anything from one property to another. And then those 39 uh, definitions of work were broken into four categories. 1 through 11, preparation of bread. 12 to 24, manner of dress. 25 to 33, writing. 34 to 39, uh, work necessary for a private house, and all of it forbidden. And then, each of those things is, of course, subject to ambiguity as well. So if you're going to interpret, what does two letters, writing two letters mean, there's five types of interdictions laid down uh, to apply to any one of the 39 laws. What are the five interdictions? Don't do anything if it, number one specifically, is forbidden in Scripture. Number two is supposedly forbidden in Scripture. Number three is something forbidden because it might lead to a transgression of something clearly forbidden in Scripture. Number four, actions that are similar to the kinds of labor supposed to be forbidden in Scripture. Number five, actions regarded as incompatible with honor due to the Sabbath. Enjoy your day. Right? I mean, that, that's a huge load and uh, would be exhausting and the fruit of that was that when Jesus came the most religious people missed the good things that Jesus was doing because their fixation on the law became the grid through which they looked at Jesus and then Jesus would heal somebody and they didn't care about the healing they were like this ha ha wrong day clearly not the messiah Right? It happened not once, half a dozen times. Jesus is condemned for doing something on the Sabbath. You heal the guy on the Sabbath. You cast the demon out on the Sabbath. You pick grain on the Sabbath. You raise the man from the dead on the Sabbath. What's wrong with you? Really? Hello? I raised a man from the dead. Let's, let's start there. No, no, no. It was on the Sabbath. This is a problem. Right? So I, I want to move away from Sabbath 2.0 to Sabbath 3.0, which is Jesus. And Jesus redefines Sabbath living and invites us to three postures. I want you to see these three postures. Posture number one, availability and service. Posture number two, solitude and listening. Posture number three, obedience and surrender. Let's just look at these briefly together because as we live into these, we find the life for which we're created, a life where there's a rhythm of engagement and withdrawal. Availability and service, number one, this is maybe the most uh, counterintuitive to those of us raised with with an understanding of Sabbath. Because the reality is, this Sabbath day in Mark 1 is a very busy day, and it's the Sabbath, right? So if you look at Mark 1, and you just kind of unpack the verbs that are there, the action words, right? And you kind of go, what is Jesus doing on the Sabbath? Uh, Then A, in verse uh, 21, he's traveling. Then he's teaching. Then he's casting out demons. Then he's teaching some more. Then he's forgiving people. And then he's traveling some more. And he he leaves the synagogue and he comes to a house. And Simon's mother-in-law is in the house and she's sick. And so again, he's healing. And then people are coming, as the sun sets, people are coming and bringing, you know, everybody who's ill and demon-possessed. And so he's doing more healing and more teaching and more casting out demons uh, and so it's a busy, busy day, right? And, and so when you look at the activities, I want you to understand something here. Wh- wh- where was Jesus? He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. In other words, uh, newsflash, Jesus didn't worship online, right? As a reason for that, other than the fact that there was no online, the, there's a bigger reason, a more important reason. And the reason is this. Sabbath... Includes by God's design, a communitarian experience of availability and service, giving and receiving. So Sabbath is not some kind of micro version of a three-day solitude retreat. It's just not intended to be that. Embedded in Sabbath is this idea that we're coming together to share life. That's why, and I'm seeing now the people who are here in the room, that's why we're here in the room. You could stay home and get this online. Uh, Bless you that you don't. Why? Because uh, Jesus' understanding of Sabbath and God's design for Sabbath is that we come together, and Paul will flesh that out for us regarding the why in 1 Corinthians 12. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that when we come together as the church, we're a body. And as a body, watch this, I have gifts, Jonathan has gifts, you have gifts, you have gifts, you have gifts. The gift of your presence itself is a gift. And so we gather, and what happens when we gather, both kind of systematically and, and intentionally, and subjectively and unintentionally, our presence rubs off on one another, and this is just really important that we understand, right? Like, I've been doing this now here at this location for 27 years or so on Sundays. And before that, another, you know, 10 years in other places or more. And I can tell you that the most valuable things that happen to me on the Sabbath are not the preaching, ever. Like, almost literally never is it the preaching. If you ask me at 5 p.m. today, what did I preach on today, I won't even be able to tell you. I've moved on, I'm living in the future, whatever. It's behind me, it's over, who cares? But if you ask me how was my Sunday, I will tell you, oh, I had an outstanding conversation with my friends who are at Mount Baker and I heard from them about... Restoration, and then I prayed for somebody because they're dealing with a crisis in their family, and then I heard from somebody about miraculous provision, and someone gave an incredible testimony this morning about standing up and getting ready to say no and yes came out of their mouths. I'm fed and fed and fed, and I see people who are faithful, and I go, this is what it means to be the body of Christ. Right? If you just want a sermon, get a podcast, man, but don't call it church. Church is being together, and I'm kind of speaking to some of you online. I mean, some of you have broken legs, and you're on chemo or whatever. You can't get out. I get it. Fine. Bless you. If you're in your your pajamas because you like Cheerios and not talking to people, that's a problem. Like, we got to learn here and have enough faith to believe that we're a body. And what that means is I have something to give you, not just in teaching, but my presence is valuable. And your presence is valuable. That's where blessing happens. We rub off on one another, and Jesus is teaching this by example. When we're together in these after the sermon moments, we're giving and receiving Christ's life. After the previous, I'd shared in the previous service, as I will in this service, a story from my days living in the North Cascades and running an outdoor ministry up there. And then, you know, when I finished the service, one of the students from the outdoor ministry who I hadn't seen in 20 years comes walking down the aisle and we have a long conversation about what God's been doing in his life. He's gone on to medical school and he's doing things and his daughter now attends SPU and here he is 20 years later. That's my, that made my day, right? Not the preaching, the encounter. So hear me, you have something to give. Availability and service, very important. Jesus' Sabbath experience was about stepping away from the other six days, but not stepping away into solitude, stepping away into a community of people who are joined together as a place committed to being a testimony. That's what you and I do when we gather here. And just by the very act of gathering, even, you're a testimony of people driving by right now. I can't tell you over the years how many people have... Come through the doors here and said to me the first time I came, nobody invited me. I came because I, drove, I was on 80th and Sunday after Sunday, there were all these people and I said to myself, something must be going on here. That's you. So gather, understanding that gathering inherently has a value. Inherently has a value. There's a Russian Pentecostal church that I visited one time up in Whatcom County There was a friend that was translating for me, and the service was over three hours long. There was music, and then a sermon, and then more music, and then an offering, and then another sermon, and then after the last sermon, uh, all the young people, from little children all the way through high school, they came forward, and the entire congregation surrounded them and prayed for them for 45 minutes. And you can say, oh, it's too long, oh, it's too boring, oh, nobody will come, but don't miss the... The, the point for the story. The point is what? This is a community sharing life. And that's the testimony. That our lives are kind of woven together. As my predecessor said, uh, our heartstrings are tangled together, right? And we become a community that is woven together. And that community becomes a much clearer testimony of Christ than any sermon. Any sermon. So that's the, the first thing. Sabbath is about availability and service. So if you're here, it's a bit of a hassle to get here because you had to, you know, you to cook, to clean, and then you know, some of you are going to invite people over afterwards. It's going to be hospitality. Don't be muttering, this is my Sabbath. I shouldn't be cooking. Part of Sabbath is availability and service. It's part of it. But then there's another part, and that's uh, what happens after this very full day for Jesus. Evening came, sun sets, and then early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded, a secluded place. Solitude and listening, praise there, right? So Jesus balances pouring his life out with the absolute necessity of receiving from the Father in solitude and silence and prayer. And we know from Luke 5, this was a habit for Jesus, and not just uh, Jesus, it was a habit for David, it was a habit for Moses, it was a habit for Jeremiah, it was a habit for Isaiah. Paul invites it to be a habit in our lives. We need engagement, giving, pouring out. We need uh, 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 withdrawal, re- coming away receiving. Uh, exhaling, inhaling. That's the way life is made, right? So this element of ceasing is embedded in this section. And I want to suggest that the ceasing and solitude are a context whereby we, we can come to hear directly from God, Right? In our normal way of living, in the West, I would say, particularly, like Europe and North America, silence and solitude are not a thing. We don't do that well, right? We do this side pretty well. We've got a lot of agendas and a lot of opportunities to get involved and serve and practice hospitality and be the Prince of Christ in the world. But uh, sometimes withdrawal is entirely, in our culture, entirely counterintuitive. Not true in every culture, but it's true in our culture. When you take that away, and you only live over here, what ends up happening is you, your paradigm becomes almost entirely reactionary. In other words, my life gets filled with activity, and then what do I do? I, re, I do my activities. And so if some of you, you wake in the morning, and if you're a, a Journal notebook person, or whatever that thing's called, where you you know you write your to dos and you put a check mark or a triangle or whatever. Some people do that, and you make a list. And then the 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 real danger is, like we live in our lists and and then my esteem is tied to my list, and I got to check it off, and if I don't check it off, I can't feel good about myself, and now I'm no longer open to the wind of the Holy Spirit changing my life with with traffic backup or any other thing i become entirely reactionary for some it's a list mentality for some it's a fomo do you know what i mean like i don't want to miss anything so i'm in i'm in i'm in i'm in last night um i was having supper with my daughter my grandkids and my son-in-law my wife and my wife had gone out to get the food and bring it back. And she calls, she says the food is ready. And I'm right in the middle of watching the Husky game. And and I'm supposed to go be a nice guy and hug my grandkids and play ball and stuff. And and it's the third quarter. And the Huskies are driving down the field. And I'm like, I'm not missing this. So I and I'm not going to miss my grandkids either. That they're on my, you know, list. So. So I have my iPad in one hand, my dog on a leash in another, and I'm going to the house, and just as I walk in the door, you know, there's, they have a dog, the dogs start screaming, the kids come and hug me, and I'm watching the game, J- literally at that moment, I'm like, I do this, touchdown Huskies! Right, and like, my little girls are like, who is this man? We don't know him. Why is he doing this? And it's because I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss my kids, my dog, my Huskies, my little huskies, I don't want to miss any. I don't want to miss it. I to be, like, I want to be everywhere. And that's not healthy. Because when we live a, kind of a reactionary life, we fill our lives up. And now we kind of end up, and I've said this many times in my career, how are do, you doing? And sometimes I say, I feel like I'm living in a video game. And that's not on God. That's on me. <laughs> it's on a, 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 an absence of refusal skills. In 1993, I went to speak at a conference uh, in England. And uh, leading up to that, we were three years into a ministry that my wife and I started. So you know, if you start something, it's just tons of hours. And so we started it. it's It's all the paperwork. It's a board. And then, you know, it's teaching. And it's teaching, frankly, you know, on the road a lot, all over the world. And then when I'm home... It's refereeing basketball games for income because we didn't have enough money. And it's writing a grant for the county for income because we didn't have enough money. And then I'd be going out and I'd speak at conferences. And particularly if I'm with a bunch of young people, I'd convince them to come to our retreat center for the weekend. And then they'd come and I'd take them rock climbing and, 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 or river rafting or something. And so I'd call my wife from Canada and I'd say, Hey, good news, you know. I've got 10 students coming on the weekend. So I'm done teaching on Friday. They're going to come down with me. We're going to go rock climbing. So go shopping. We need food because we got more guests. And isn't it great that I can do stuff every day, 24-7? And I call my wife and she would be like, I've been home alone, homeschool the kids, septic tank's broken, we lost power. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring anyone home. And it was a tension in our marriage, right? So we were living with this kind of, always say yes that was me and my wife kind of let's trust god to provide for us and we go to this conference and i got the flu on the plane over because i had been doing too much and as soon as i stopped i crashed and then you know we're in london donna's poor donna's never been there and she wants to go see stuff and I was like this, I don't want to see anything but this room. I'm in bed throwing up. And so she went out on her own, and we got another big argument. And then, you know, we end up at this conference, and I'm not the first speaker, thanks be to God. But the first one, he said to all us ministry leaders, some are here excited. Some are here energized. Some are here afraid. Some are here frustrated. Some, he said, some of you are here tired because you've been saying yes to everything. And you're on the verge of collapsing and I started to cry. I knew that was my word. That was a turning point in my career, that word from that guy. We talked that night. Donna and I said, we need Sabbath. We, we need to learn how to say stop, right? So all of us need this. All, all of us need this. And uh, Jesus shows us the way, Right? Third thing, last thing I want to say, there's obedience and surrender. This is really, really important. Because when we're in this video game, we don't really see people or activities. We just, we see a person, we label them, we deal with them, and we move on, and we move on. But we're not really living in the moment the way we're invited to. The way we get back into the moment, first we have to stop, and we have to listen to the Lord, and then the Lord will will change our pace and our priorities and free us, but that requires of you and I obedience and surrender. So what happens in the story is Jesus has been away. You know, he gets up in the middle of the night or early in the morning or whatever. He goes on a little hike, and then he's out in the woods somewhere praying. And uh, then Simon, verse 36, goes and looks for him and finds him. And Simon's annoyed with Jesus, verse 37. We don't know the tone of his voice, but however, whatever the tone is, it's a, there's a subtext in what he says. Because he sees, Jesus. What does he say? Hey, everyone's looking for you. Now, it's, here's the subtext: What you and I are you doing out in the woods when you've got you know sixty or one hundred and thirty people at the house? Come on, Jesus, you meet needs. That's what you do. They have needs. You met their needs. Are you telling me, Jesus, you're going to meet their needs and not their needs? You're not a good need meter. Like if you have needs, meet them. If your if your identity is need meeting, get back to work. I mean that could, that's one way they they were thinking. Another possible way is this. Oh wow, you know, I wake up in the morning. I'm Peter. The whole town is outside. I go to Jesus' bedroom. He's not there. Where is he? Or the fact that they knew he'd be in the woods tells me it was a habit. So they go to the woods. There he is. And they're like this. Everyone's looking for you. Here's the subtext. Hey, uh, your market share, Jesus, is growing. You got a crowd. You got a platform. Uh, if, if you go back and you speak to those people, heal those people, like you meet their needs, man, that's the hook. Then, Jesus, once you've met their needs, you invite them to, to join the movement, just like we did. And we're gonna build a big movement, and when we build a big movement, we're gonna do what you came to do, which is get rid of the Romans. Jesus, everyone's looking for you. What does Jesus say? This is off the map radical. He says, we're going somewhere else. Like, no one would say that, right? But here's the deal. Regarding the meeting of needs, hear me, no one, not even Jesus, is called to meet every need they encounter, no one. Why? There's too many needs. There's refugee resettlement, the unhoused, addiction, restoring relationships with Native Americans, rebuilding broken race relationships, mentoring, empowering people in Nicaragua, Rwanda, Costa Rica, uh, walking with people through grief, rebuilding marriages, rebuilding lives after a loss. Plus, don't forget to love your kind of literal neighbors and your spouse and your children and your parents and your extended family and have a great Thanksgiving and keep your house neat and kind of Instagram tidy and your tires inflated on your bike and on your car. And do you have a car, you should be riding your bike because the world is on fire climate change have a nice day right like you can't meet every need and jesus understood that and jesus understood that saying yes to anything requires saying no to something else so if you don't know how to say no you really don't know how to say yes because you're dissipating the energy and calling that god has for you well how do i know what to say yes to oh that's right solitude and silence I get away, and I listen for the voice of my creator. So this is what Jesus is inviting you and I to do. Develop a rhythm of engagement and withdrawal. And in our withdrawal, there's this kind of availability and surrender that happens, right? Because as I surrender to the Lord, I become obedient to God's call in my life. And... God alone knows the needs you are called to meet. For one, you know, it's social media in a nonprofit, for example. For another, it's hospitality. For another, it's urban ministry. For another, it's uh, music. For another, it's theater. For another, it's uh, hospitality uh, with neighbors. For another, it's, it happens to be teaching. For another, it's writing. For another, it's creating great art. Whatever it is, don't worry. Whatever your hand finds to do, Ecclesiastes, do it. But do what God calls you to do, and your yes has embedded in it some no's. And that's okay. Because that's how we're fruitful. We're all in. Whatever your hand finds to do, we're doing it. With all our might. Why? We know we're called to this. How do we know that? Because our life has a rhythm. We're also listening and praying and praying and hearing, and obeying. And the yes to which I'm called liberates me also to say no. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been able to say no with a clear conscience because I've known from the Lord my yes. Does that make sense? But I have to have this time over here. So if I could just speak as we close this way, all of us in the room have kind of by nature a propensity either to engage, so like that first point for some of you were like, finally, somebody's talking about Sabbath and including service. Now I can cook the roast with a clear conscience. Good for you. Engage. But understand, like if that if you're bent that way, I'm calling you to solitude and silence and listening to the Lord. There are others of us in the room who love solitude and silence. We could sit in the forest with a cup of coffee and watch the trees grow until our last breath. And God is calling us to get up off of our bottoms and get into the world and serve. I encourage you today to have a conversation. Where's your bent? Which comes most naturally to you? Engagement, withdrawal how will you move to strengthen the side for you that is weak? That'll be a good conversation. And that'll move you into real Sabbath rest, which is service and availability and solitude and silence and obedience. Let's pray. Father, uh, speak to us now as we seek to apply the truths that you've taught us. And my prayer, particularly today, Father, is that this wouldn't be a sermon and we'd leave unchanged, but that the seed of this kind of balance of engagement and withdrawal, of, of service and solitude, that that's, that seed would just kind of gnaw at us so that we would take steps toward finding the rhythm you have for each of us, that we'd live into our calling fully, that we'd also listen for your voice, and thank you for all that awaits as we follow you, praying in Christ's name, amen.